The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. On this episode of This League, we have an Amber Alert. A man is missing in action. We also have a coach on the verge of tears and a 50-point loss. We have a couple of teams looking like it's headed for a sweep. Woo, don't want to speak too soon, but I think that's right. We also have a great conversation with the Sixers writer for The Athletic, Rich Hoffman. Uh, It was a tremendous interview, and we are talking more about the second round of the playoffs. So, Marty, let's drop the beat. like to say that the Suns Nuggets games so far have surprised me, but they have not. (laughs) They have not. Suns are fucking exactly who they've been all season long. If anyone is surprised by this, they haven't watched many Suns games all season. Uh, They are dominant. The way they have moved the ball has been tremendous. Uh, CP3 looks fully recovered. Ish, yeah. right? He, he looks. looks fully, he looks pretty damn looks good. He fully, looks pretty damn good. Fully recovered, Marty. Are you ready for this? I don't know if you're ready for this, but you should get ready for this. For just us being good in general and making this kind of run again, or I think the Suns could be world champions. I mean, it's on the table. It's certainly on the table, and it feels fucking bizarre. <laughs> I, it's hard for me to imagine how the Suns are going to match up with the Nets in a seven-game series. But I think what you're seeing is they have this ability to play zone in a way that could at least contain the Nets in certain ways. Well, and our defense is just so good. We're, like, built kind of to match up with them because we're we're so long. So long. And Aiton has proven himself to be just such an active rim protector that I kind of like what we could do to them defensively. And I just trust Monty so much. The only weakness really against them would be uh shot creation in the clutch. Cause they've got those three guys that can just get a shot whenever they want. What it. do you think about Blake? How do you, how do you think Blake, um, what we'll, we can call him reinvigorated Blake? Yeah. How do you think that affects the series? Um, I think do you put eight on him. Uh, I think Aiton, you, yeah, I mean, you put Aiton on whoever's just on Hot. the block the most often, yeah. yeah, and yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you attack him offensively, and for you sure. have to yeah. put, you have to put Mikael Bridges on KD, yes, uh, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 that's the only, it's the only way, and Jay, and Jay, and they, Jay. they can kind of go back, like and forth. Jay did with LeBron as yeah. well. That's that's a good point. Yeah, uh, the way that they played these last two games against a team that has been incredibly consistent all year, despite the loss of despite, uh, the Jamal Murray has just been wow. Wow. 
They took a baseball bat to them in the second half and turned a 10-point halftime lead into a demoralizing, soul-crushing win. Such a demoralizing, soul-crushing win (laughs) that Mike Malone is saying, well, damn. Yeah, you know, that was um, probably the the, the only silver lining to a really rough night all the way around because... Uh, was Will Barton, uh, who hasn't played in over seven weeks. was tremendous. Yeah, no, he was good. first game goes out there, gives you 10 and three, uh, and gave us a, a bolt of energy in that first half. Makes a three, blocks the shot. Um, and he hated me when I took him out because they reached his minute restriction. And I understand that. Uh, I just told our players, uh, it's embarrassing that a guy that hasn't been able to play for seven weeks um, <laughs> was out there leaving it all on the line. And I don't think anybody else did. Uh, this was an embarrassing performance um, from myself all the way through the last player. You know, uh, we're walking out of here with our heads uh, held down, rightfully so. And there's a reason that their crowd is yelling sons in four and they're calling for a sweep because if we play like this back in Denver, uh, this is going to be a really quick series. Oh. When you're coach is publicly filleting you with sons and four it's not good he has now called his team soft twice and sons in four once this is not something that is normal behavior from a head coach to go on the record usually it's like we had some lapses. We're going to go in. We're going to watch the tape. We're going to get back to business. We're come out in Denver, and we're going to re- rebuild, and we're going to rebound. And he's like, no, these guys are fucking bitches. Yeah, no, like, we just sucked. <laughs> Everybody on the team sucked. <laughs> Everyone from me all the way down to the last guy on the bench, we're soft. We lay down. Jokic, MV what? MV who? You yeah. just quit. You just quit. Yeah, I mean, he kind of did. I didn't really realize just how vulnerable they are defensively. Like, if you get inside on them, you're scoring. Pretty much. Like, they just have no answer. I thought Aaron Gordon was a good defensive player. Yeah, he has made very little impact. He (laughs) is. I don't know if you saw. It's like jab jab step, jab step, rocker, weight shift, gone. Mm -hmm. Cooked. He got cooked a few times. Michael Porter Jr. also cooked. Yeah, he's also just been like the least aggressive wing player I've ever seen. I mean, he just want he just all he wants to do is shoot threes, which I mean he's good at it, but just attack. Like there was do a gra- more. yeah, like I've, it, it, there's been games in the playoffs where he's shot zero free throws, and like it, it, like it, you're the second offensive option. Like that be more. That's yeah, that's unacceptable to me. Yeah, the Denver Post right now. <laughs> Look at this headline: The Nuggets are quitters. Or so says Michael Malone. Maybe the best way to put Denver out of its misery is with a broom. Holy shit. This is the Nuggets local paper. And they're like, just put them out of their misery. Yikes. I cannot enunciate or emphasize enough how unprecedented those two things are. I have no words. (laughs) The only thing that I say is this. Holy shit. I am so glad it's not my team. We would have been. ah, We wouldn't have even had one quarter that we could have like competed. You guys would have put the stomp. We have no defense. Yeah. Yeah. We would have exposed that. 
I mean, Aiton on Nurk, just just on the offensive side, Aiton would have just eaten him. Devin Booker is eating your boy, Compazzo. your boy Austin Rivers oh, yeah, and yeah, Compazzo. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, that's his lunch, yeah. right? And we haven't even seen Devin Booker do Devin Booker things yet. I right, don't even think he needs yet. to. No, he probably doesn't. Yeah, probably don't even need to. Yeah. Holy and, I, and shit. what I love that Monty's doing is he's mirroring Aiton with Jokic. Like if they pull Jokic, he pulls Aiton. Yep. He, he's just like I think I'm, that's I'm, the move. Oh yeah, it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, they have taken all of the things that the Blazers did right in one game. What was it? Game four? Game five? Uh, game four. Game four, yeah. when we beat them, uh, like, outrageously. When he had one assist. When yeah. he had one assist. Yeah. He uh, had 16 points, and Nurk was on him. That's what they did. They mirrored him the same way. Yeah. They took all the things that we did right in that one game and then expanded on it and did it better. And you guys are just monsters. Monsters. As for the uh, And the TNT boys, I mean, they were like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> they called every single person out. And again, back to AG... My man, like you can't call your own team soft after game one and then come out here and put up six points. They just can't <laughs> do that. You, I am so glad that my team didn't trade for him. He is not good. He's been unimpressive in this series. There's no doubt about he that. He wasn't really that good in the Blazers series. They benched him very early on, too. Like he had good spurts. He started, of course, and then they, they like put someone else in. I think Will Barton is more impactful than Aaron Gordon. I expect him to play more in game three. Absolutely. Yeah. As for the Suns, Chris Paul, 15 points, 15 assists, zero turnovers. The first person to do that in the playoffs since who, Marty? Ooh, uh, I actually don't. I'm, I'll, I'll guess Stockton. Chris Paul oh, in really? 2014. <laughs> Chris Paul has done this now for three different franchises in playoff games. He's done it for the Hornets. He's done it for the Clippers. And now he's done it for the Suns. This man is so good. I love him with every inch of my being, and I've disliked him for his entire career, and I feel so shitty about that because he's just such – he's a basketball genius. Like, he, the way he can adapt, it, like, mid-game to really anything and take care of the ball the way he does and rally guy, he's just he's, – he's, he's something else. Where do you put Chris Paul in the pantheon of point guards? If you guys win this year – where, where does he go in in historical point guards through time? I think if he wins this this finals and like beats that finds a way to beat that Brooklyn team, uh, I, I think you got to put him top five. I mean, that's let, what let, I think too. Let's see. Okay, like Magic, Steph, Stockton, Oscar, CP three. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's close. I think like him and Isaiah Thomas, like back to they're in the he's in the conversation. And listen, sniffing top five. If he didn't hurt his hamstring in whatever it was, 2018, 2019. Yeah. I mean, they would have already won the title. Yeah. They would have already beaten Cleveland. That was a disaster. Cleveland was terrible. Yeah, they would have smoked Cleveland. They would have smoked Cleveland in five. They would have already had a had a ring. I just don't see how this is not a sweep. Remember everyone. Chris Paul is washed. Like, how much could he really do? He can do so much for a team. I would love to know. I would love to take Booker or Aiton aside and say, like, what would you guys have been if it wasn't? Because you can't attribute all the success to CP3. Right. But how much success can you attribute? 
I think a lot, especially with especially with Aiton. Like I think he's helped just Aiton's mindset and motor so much. Like Aiton, he doesn't take plays off like ever anymore. He's he used so, to. Oh, all the time. Yeah, like it bothered the shit out of me. He's so active though, and I think you can attribute that pretty much directly to CP3. But I mean, say they ran it back and still like kept Rubio and had him run it, I still think this team's good. Yeah, I think they're like, like a six seed. Probably. Yeah. Six six five something. Yeah. Because you went. 8-0 in the bubble. Here's the thing, too. Like, Chris Paul, remember, DeAndre Jordan, a different DeAndre, yeah. had some of his best years with Chris Paul. Why? Mm-hmm. Because Chris Paul is a short, we'll say a short, like, what, what would you call, like, short and stubby. Like, his arms aren't super long. He doesn't yeah. <laughs> have a ton of length. And he's still able to do as much as he's able to do with his athleticism and he's kind of like got a kind of a stocky build too. When he looks at these centers who are seven feet tall, you have to do more. Like you can't be seven feet tall and be this trash. Like you got to <laughs> give me more. If you're Chris Paul, that's why guys don't like him is because he's, he's so, how do I put this strict yeah. with young guys? And some people don't like it, but Deandre Ayton clearly is a stick and carrot kid and mm-hmm. i love that i love that i just don't see how much how much the nuggets can adjust yeah it feels uh yeah it feels like this could be a sweep right yeah it's uh now you said that right you said sweeper gentleman sweep right i did yeah. how much does a year make how much difference does a year make before the season there were people legitimately talking about how chris pa- chris paul's contract toman fertitta said yeah. chris paul's the worst contract in basketball. <laughs> Who is saying that now? Like, that's the most laughable thing I have ever heard. That really is. That is so funny. Do you realize that's like incredible to say out loud? I don't even understand how that was an argument to be made. Charles Barkley just said, I've never been drunk enough to say no to 45 million. Not even in my wildest drunken stupor. So that contract so undervalued for Chris Paul, he's willing to walk away from his final year and risk it for the biscuit. That's how much Chris Paul is willing to bet on himself and that's how valuable he is. So the series is going back to Denver and they just I mean it's at a certain point they already want to lay down they already did lay down yeah so Denver you better get fucking loud and and be the persuading force for these nuggets to do something because lord do they look like they're made out of paper mache after a rainstorm (laughs) I'm overcoming the obstacles the impossible. They said I was being illogical, but I have become the unstoppable. And why would I stop? Got a lot to do. I'm trying to travel where it's tropical. Don't call me, I ain't calling you. Cause that's why I do not rock with you. You the type that wanna watch my moves. Speaking of blowouts, can you imagine being Mike Budenholzer right now? <sighs> Just knowing what's coming. I said this after, well, actually in the middle of game two. I said, if I'm Budenholzer, I am popping an Addy and a Zanny. At the same time, because I'm getting zero sleep tonight and everything that I'm doing is focused on how I can possibly figure out a way to not get blown out in game three and game four. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to uh, you'd like to at least be competitive in one of them. It's just it's been uh, it's been ugly. But I mean, it just we, sometimes you just run into a team like that. I mean, I think Brooklyn is just I think I mean, they're generationally good. Like I knew I never should have been roped into the Bucks. 
I knew it. Yeah. Uh, yuck. I said early on in the season, like, I didn't think that they were for real, that they're a 60-win team in the regular season. They do nothing in the playoffs. And then they got Drew, and then Drew's balling after he came back from injury. And I'm like, man, they could really, could they, could they go to the finals? What was I fucking thinking? Yeah. This is, that was such a stupid pivot. The season is long, and your mindset changes like a wave. You know, sometimes the tide's in, sometimes the tide's out. And we made a mistake by thinking they were going to do shit, especially on the same side of the bracket as the Nets. Yeah. It's been, I mean, it had a lot to do with uh, you picked Miami to beat them, and then they come out and sweep. That, yep. That'll change your mind that about a team. That did change yep. my mind. It did. Yuck. You've just become a meme, Mike Budenholzer. Yes, you have. <laughs> after Budenholzer. Badenholzer, yeah. Poopenholzer. 39, losing by 39 to the Nets in game two. Now everyone in the world knows you look exactly like Alex Jones, the man who was so bad, so controversial, so inflammatory, he got banned from all of the internet. Except for like 4chan? I don't know. Uh, Just Google him if you don't know who he is. Uh, He is awful. And now people just like... This dude is a deer in head. He is like the deer. You know, they say fear the deer. That's him. He is the deer in fear. <laughs> like his eyes are so glazed over. Did you watch that press conference at all? I didn't want no. All right. So I had to find it because they didn't put it on national television. Thank God. So they because I had credentials, they sent it to me after the fact so I could download it. And his eyes were welled up. They were red. They're bloodshot. He was his face was bloodshot. Yeah. You know, he's looking. You know, when you see someone and they're looking at you, but they're not looking at you. They're looking past you through you because they don't even they're somewhere else. That was Mike Budenholzer. He was like (laughs) they asked him, hey, (laughs) how demoralizing is it? And I love the media like they're so fucked up. How demoralizing was it that you guys went down by almost 60 when the bench was in? And he was like, you know, you lose by one, you lose by 50, you still lose. It's the same. It's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah, I've never liked that. Just staring into the abyss, just trying to project words of calm and words of confidence. But you know that he and his heart is like a leader of a troop, of the troops of like 1,800 men. And he knows in a couple of days he's got to go out into another battle against 18,000 men with three dragons. And what do you say to that? You're like, guys, we can do this. Like, we, I know we're undermanned by 10%, but. And in his face, you're like, he's dying. He knows he's dying. The troops know they're dying, but there's nothing you can do because you have to go. Well, I like that our conversation isn't can they win a game, it's can they be close in a game? (laughs) Yeah. I left. I I was in the second quarter at Barclays, Barclays, Bark, whatever, and I dipped. I got on to TikTok midway through the second quarter. How bad is it when you're texting, your feet are up, you're not even looking at the court. You're just catching vibes, just catching the Brooklyn, Brooklyn. <laughs> you're like, wow, it is fucking loud in here. They were chirping Giannis up by 30. He's at the free throw line, and they are heckling him. I mean, he he, he doesn't make them. He doesn't make like, them. <laughs> playoff bud, playoff bucks, playoff duds. That's what they are. Is there hope? 2018, Golden State beat the Rockets by 41 in game three of a series that went seven games. Let me just say this very clearly. This is not that. This is not that. No. <laughs> this is a team with a history of underperforming, 
And not Drew can save them, not Middleton can save them, no one can save them. They have no answer for KD. Playoff KD is the best player in the world. It's not close. Like, he had 15, consist- he had 15 contested threes, made 12 of them. I mean, he's, yeah, he's... I don't even there's think not he sees them. You, there's not enough you could say about Kevin Durant. He's just, he's masterful to watch. He put the defensive player of the year on skates. Yeah. I mean, tough, tough, tough scene. He embarrassed that team. And that's why the Bucks don't stand a chance. Also, for the record, those three teams, the Western Conference Finals with the Warriors and the, and the uh, Rockets and the Cavaliers, Three of those superstars are on one team now. Harden, <laughs> Harden, KD, and Kyrie. So, and as a as an aside, like I believe Blake Griffin was sitting for three years in a cryogenic chamber that happened to reside in Detroit. I mean, he did lead him to the playoffs in 2019, but uh, yeah, he did it. I mean, he dunk. looks he looks completely different. He I, did yeah, it dunk I know what you're for saying. an entire yeah. year. People thought his knees were gone. They were like, there's something wrong with him. He was considered to be one of the worst contracts in the NBA, <laughs> a laughing stock. People said that he would make no difference for the Nets because he was so washed and just a name. He is not just a name. He is looking like Clippers Blake right now. Yeah, no, I mean, people forget when all that shit went down that LaMarcus Aldridge was who everyone was talking about. Like Blake was kind of like, oh, come off the bench. Give us like 10 minutes or something like that. And yeah, no, not the case. We were in Miami when that went down. And I think you and I were both pretty excited about that. Yeah. You slightly less than me. But wow, he was leaping. There was this one play. He doubled Giannis, came over, doubled Giannis, then went to the weak side to go in with the kick out to Joe Harris, covered that side. Try to like basically shade on that baseline to trap him. Then somebody shot a brick, whoever it was, and he grabbed that rebound and led the break. And I was like, this dude is fuck. He's never covered that much ground in his life. <laughs> like he is caring about this. He is a superstar. I can't even believe it. I can't. They assembled an Avenger like squad and why? They had LaMarcus Aldridge. They had Blake Griffin. They had Harden. They had KD. They had Kyrie. They had Joe Harris. They had, imagine they could have had a healthy Spencer Dinwiddie if he wouldn't have torn his ACL. Like, this team is gross. The fact that they have just all these insanely good ISO guys and just Joe Harris is just sitting out there. Like, it's, it's just. It's unfair. That's it, it the really only is, thing yeah. that I'm like, whoa. Is Joe Harris just going to have 30 against the Suns in the finals? I don't know. I mean, I think you can get back to him fast enough, but he's just a fucking sharpshooter, too. Yeah. Can you imagine Blake in Boston? The, I mean, they I, he wouldn't have been a difference maker you don't there. Think he would have tri- you don't think he would have tried? Or you don't think no, he would have been I do. I just, don't, a- I just think that team was too far gone. I don't think he would have. Like, what? Yeah, <sighs> no. I don't think they'd have been much different. Back to the game with the Bucks. So I, I left the game early. Uh, I want to say at the end of the third quarter, and I got an Uber. And I was trying to get out of there before 18,000 people were leaving all at once. Smart. And, which would have been probably somewhere in the beginning of the fourth quarter because it was that bad. And I got this Uber driver from the Kingdom of Mali. Do you know where that is? Have you heard of the Kingdom of Mali before? I've heard of it. Couldn't I tell you hadn't. where it is. <laughs> I hadn't. It's in Western Africa. Apparently like one of the oldest kingdoms in Africa that there is. Okay. But I'm not a history buff. So I didn't know it. 
His name was Dresa. And Dresa was like, hey, how's the game going? Did it just finish? I was like, no, it's the, um, it's the middle of the third quarter. Uh, Nets are up. Nets are up like 35. And he goes, man, that Milwaukee head coach, he's, he's going to get fired for sure, huh? And I go, how do you know that? And he was like, yeah, you got to get his resume ready. It's, it's a wrap. And I'm like, are you a big basketball fan? He's like, I'm a pretty big basketball fan. He knew my Uber driver from Western Africa who had been in New York only 10 years in this country, only 10 years knows Budenholzer's fucking gone. That's how you know everyone knows he's fucking gone. Night, night, nets in three. <laughs> Amber alert. Amber alert. On your cell phone where it just comes out. There has been a kidnapping. A 6'8", 31-year-old man last seen in Dallas, Texas. He's been missing the entire month of June. If you have seen Paul Clifton George... Please call 1-800-THIS-LEAGUE. <laughs> the dude has been gone. Just completely gone. He's just, he's the most unreliable star. Superstar? Star, Superstar, star. yeah. That, yeah, that yeah, really I can remember, honestly. Like, you, I mean, he'll have just insane games and like that. Like, he still does that and is capable of doing that. But you cannot, like, trust that he's going to go out and play well. Just give me one second here. Oh, yes. Uh, Clippers have extended, they did this in the offseason, they extended Paul George's contract right at the season, yeah, December 10th, four years, $190 million on top of the $35.4 million for the 2021 season. So a guy that's getting paid $190 million plus 35, so we'll call that 225.4, you gotta not go missing for yeah. 10 days yeah, no, in the playoffs. Straight up, straight up yeah. Playoff P, four for 17 for 20 points in game one, three-point shooting from game four of the first round on has been awful. He has been Russell Westbrook from three cents. <laughs> He's gone like 25% from three cents. My Lord, that right there, this performance in this playoff series or playoff, all of them so far has been... Exactly what I would hope for, for Paul George. Because yeah. <laughs> me, I'm petty. I'm a Dame enthusiast, and I don't like Paul George. There's just certain players, I think, Marty, you just enjoy seeing struggle. Oh, of course. Paul Paul George is one of them. Yeah. Kyrie is mine. Kyrie is yours. Yep. Tough, though. Tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Has, hasn't been going as well as yours. <laughs> if he ever went to the Blazers, I would be the biggest Paul George fan on earth. I would immediately pivot because that's how much I love my team. Right. But he's not. So, pandemic P. That's what we have. That's what we have. Twenty three nine and five, but yet somehow dreadfully disappointing because he's just a roller coaster. He went in game four fifty percent from three and has been twenty five percent since. Wait, say that again. He went fifty percent from three uh-huh. in game four of the first round and has been like twenty five percent from three since. <sighs> when you are a three-point specialist, and you don't do that job at the moment, it is most important, in my opinion, you're not that good. You're just not that good. I think at this point, the only chance for the Clippers was when the Jazz were undermanned, lacking Mike Conley, which he will be back, and 
The Jazz happened to go, like we've said before, when they go cold, they go ice cold, even though Donovan Mitchell was tremendous. They were cold. He really was. He really was. He really was. I got to give him his flowers. 20-point lead just erased. You just, if you're the Clippers, that was the shot you had. Yeah. The one punch, the early punch, and the Jazz knew the Clippers are tired. They are toast. Game seven. Shame. 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 They defended that last place so well, Utah (sighs) did. I mean, and then he just gives it up to Kawhi. Like, that's another thing. Like, you you are the three-point specialist. The world is shitting on you. Utah is going full Utah. Yeah. And heckling you to the point of extremes. You have the chance to redeem yourself, and yet, you pass it up. Yeah, no, the fact that Marcus Morris got that shot was... I mean, it, 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 it's obviously not how they drew it up, but... Unacceptable. Pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. They drew it up for Paul George, did they not? Uh, looked like it. Yeah. yeah. This league. This is something you should already know. I said it already before. And I'm a winner. No matter what you say, The biggest question heading into game two was this. Was Doc Rivers going to make adjustments? Was he going to let Ben Simmons be 6'10 and blanket Trey Young? The answer as we found out, was yes. Uh, ben guarded Trey for half the time. Uh-huh. Danny Green didn't have to become barbecue chicken, Danny Green. <laughs> and Matisse Thibel guarded Trey for 25% of the time. What a game. Yeah. Tremendous it game. Uh, of course, Ben only had four points. Basically looked like he was uninterested in getting involved in the offense after the first four minutes. He got benched at some points in the second half in the fourth quarter. Even though the Hawks were up, or even though the Sixers were up double digits, they were so concerned. Doc was so concerned about Ben. He benched him and put in Shake Milton, who went off. Yeah, big shake game. Big shake game. Harlem shake game. I don't know what you would call it. Philly shake game. Embiid was a monster again. He had uh, he had forty again, right? Was that what the number was? I think forty. Yeah. Six, f- Sixers had fifty-seven points and zero turnovers on forty second-half possessions. That is a statement. I mean, that you you never see that yep. zero turnovers. You never see that. Never see that. Which, if you are an enthusiastic, optimistic Atlanta fan or an anti-Sixer fan like myself. You're going to think to yourself, well, that's not possible moving forward. So it's going to be a game. It's going to be a series. Bench points in the first half was zero. Bench points in the second half was 26. We went into this game and the Sixers playoff ceiling. So we went into this game and the Sixers playoff ceiling in detail with Rich Hoffman, along with digging into the most polarizing and interesting player in basketball. Ben Simmons. He gave us his thoughts. He broke down why Ben hasn't progressed, whether he thinks Ben will be traded, and what happens to the Sixers organization if they lose to the Hawks. And all I can say is this, rut row. Without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Rich. Welcome to the show, Rich Hoffman, 1F, 2Ns, very hard to find on Twitter, to this league, writer for The Athletic, who also has a podcast called The Sixers Beat, also by The Athletic. Is there anything else that I should let folks know about you? No, that's that's pretty much my life right there. Pretty much his life. Just covering the Sixers through and through. Also, you worked for USA Today, sort of, for a time? 
Yeah, did a little bit here and there for them. Same, same. Did a little bit here and there for them for a time. All right. So um, what is it like, I guess, to be a writer for what I would consider to be a top three delusional fan base? It's uh, <laughs> it's there's a lot going on for sure. And I, I would say, you know, there there are a lot of opinions flying back and forth, you know. So if you just try and write something like. I don't know, like Ben Simmons did X and, you know, the, the amount of stuff that can get picked up from like locally, nationally, there, there has been a lot going on, I would say, since since Sam Hickey got here. So we're, we're going on about eight years now. How do you navigate that in terms of what you decide to say, knowing that you are probably the cream of the crop in terms of being a Sixers writer right now and knowing how much national attention is on Embiid and, and Ben, but also the, the fan base and how they're going to come at you? Well, I think the, the good the good part of it is that like they they were so bad for a few years and but when they were not like a popular team, that is when I got my start. So I think at least for a decent amount of the fan base, they they kind of like me because I'm like almost like one of them. Like I came up with you know them and the team and all that stuff. But yeah, like I mean, I think you gotta you just gotta try and tell the truth the best you can. And you know if people call you an idiot and you know say you're completely wrong about stuff, like that's gonna happen probably every day. You know, and you just gotta deal with it. What about the fact that you? I mean, you're from Philly. I would presume a Philadelphia 76ers fan as well in your heart. Did you? Do you think you've given up fandom? Yeah, I think that that definitely has gotten beaten out of me. You know, I definitely growing up big Sixers fan, big Iverson guy. And I, I think at some point in like college, I just really started liking the NBA. And, you know, it, it was nice to get in on the ground floor. Like I would rather not cover any other team besides the Sixers. But yeah, I would say like if you cover them for six, seven years, like my, my dad used to do this, like he kind of told you, you got to be objective, like, and it just, just naturally just gets beaten out of you, the fandom. It's, I mean, like, look, it's cool. Like I'm, I'm happy for, you know, all my friends and everybody when the Sixers are doing good and it's probably pretty good for business when they're doing good, but yeah, I, I don't care if they win or lose anymore. It's kind of beaten <laughs> out of you. So, okay. We're in the midst of the playoffs. I said that the Sixers, unless they went to the finals, would be, I think, a disappointment given that they're the number one seed. Same thing with the Utah Jazz on the West, too. Uh, we are two games in right now as this interview is taking place. Uh, what is your assessment, your confidence level uh, in the Sixers' ability to advance past a team that I don't think anyone saw coming, at least like taking the first punch against the Sixers squad? Yeah, I think they should get past this round. That that to me would be the, if, if they don't get past this round and especially if like Embiid remains healthy enough to do whatever he's doing right now, that is a complete catastrophe if they can't do that. And yeah, they did throw the first punch. I agree with you. And they, they've honestly been better than I thought they would. But if you look at that first game, like that was not a very good doc rivers game. Like he, he put Danny green on Trey young the entire game. And it's like, Trey young is really good. If you kind of give him a favorable matchup, he is going to light you up. And, you know, doc seems like in that game too, he got, he got it correct. And I'll just say like, if, if Joel continues to play like this, they will get past this round. Now, will they make the finals? I don't know. That team in Brooklyn is pretty good. Um, that looks like a step up in competition. It's nice that the Sixers will have home court advantage, but that uh, I think like this round is the one for, I think most people in Philly, they want it. They want a title. They want all that stuff. But if they don't get past this round, it's complete chaos and people, the knives will be out. What does say. chaos mean to you? 
it means there will probably be changes in the off season in some way or another. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't happen right away. You know, I think Daryl Murray is a smart guy. He's not going to do something just to shake things up, you know, for the sake of it. But I, I think it would probably be illustrative of like, they need to make moves to try and better the team in the, in the future. That's sort of what I mean by it. Do you think this roster as it's constructed right now is a contender? I think you'd have to say it's a contender just because it's the number one seed. They're an awesome home team. Embiid is playing out of his mind, but it, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a flood contender. It's, you know, I mentioned Danny green early on. It's been, honestly, it's been a fun team to cover just because they have a lot of these guys who are, are good role players and they figured out the fit this off season with the shooting with Danny and Seth and those guys around them, but they're flawed players. Like Danny can't guard guys one-on-one who are any good. <laughs> yeah. Seth is is a great shooter, but he's small. He can get attacked on defense. And honestly, like the other thing that's frustrating about him is he doesn't shoot enough. Like he should shoot more. And then you have guys like Matisse Neibel, who, you know, a lot of people rightfully talk about his defense. Like he's one of the most unique defensive players in the league. You don't have to guard him on offense. Like it's, you know, so it's, it's kind of an interesting thing where they, they have figured out the fit. Joel has gone absolutely nuts this year. He's playing out of his mind. You know, he, I don't think he should have won the MVP just because he didn't play enough games, but he played at that level, I would say, for most of the year. Um, but yeah, it's it's not like the the Golden State Warriors, you know, five years ago where you just roll out five versatile guys and you know it seems like everything rolls smoothly. Like they they, they have their their own problems and their own flaws with their role players. And stars to a degree, yes. right? You mentioned yes. Matisse Thibel, guys not really having to guard him uh offensively, but outside of five feet, you know don't really have to guard Ben Simmons offensively there either. I think 85% of his shot chart is coming within five feet of the rim. And it's gotten to be more and more of a percentage of that um, over time. Um, Like what is your assessment uh, as to whether that's shot chart will change and how much of that is physical versus mental? Well, that shot chart's not going to change this year. Like it's no, no, no. I mean, in general. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, we could, we could talk for an hour about Ben Simmons. He is, he is the most, I would say, interesting player in, in the NBA, just in terms of like his game, what he does, all, all of these things. Uh, you know, it was funny, like last night game two, perfect, weird Ben Simmons game where Four you know, they put it, they, yeah, they put him on Trey young and he played great defense, but he also like, I'm not sure he looked at the rim one time after the first four minutes of the game. And he was I thought he was passive in transition. Like he had chances to attack. And then at the end of the game, he gets hacked and, and doc takes him out of the game when, you know, I mean, I don't know, like his free throw shooting has always been subpar. I mean, this is crazy. He's shooting like 30% in the playoffs. It's crazy. Uh, It's, it's pretty interesting. Like he, I think if you wanted to make the argument with him, the lack of the jumper, even the lack of kind of just, getting to the basket, like as much as he probably should, you know, if you wanted to go there, I think it's fair to be disappointed in, in what he has done this season. Like you look at kind of his peers around the league, like these guys just keep adding more and more to their game. You know, like the Jason Tatum's is kind of the the person I'm sure there are other guys too, but these guys who have these, this more versatile game, like they're averaging, you know, high twenties points per game. And Ben, if you kind of look at his basketball reference page, it's the same thing every year. It's, 15, 16 points, seven assists, eight rebounds. And I guess, you know, the question for him moving forward is like, is there going to be a round in the playoffs? And I think there will be, it might not be this one because Atlanta, I'm not sure they can guard Embiid. He's going to have to do a little bit more against like a set half court defense. Like it's, you know, the, the four points, I, 
maybe it doesn't matter quite as much in this series. Maybe the defense can kind of just take him there, but at some point teams are going to make him into a scorer and he's going to have to do a little bit more. And, you know, we'll see. I don't think it's impossible that he can do it with this team, but it certainly makes things harder when he's so inconsistent. How come you don't think he's added to his game in the offseason offensively? It's it's pretty weird. Like if if you made me guess, like or if like if I had to guess, like I think it's a little bit more mental than than most things. Like he clearly works on his shooting. I like he he has this guy, Chris Johnson, who is like a you know, he's an NBA trainer for a lot of really great players. He work hard. He works hard on it, and I, I've you know not not quite as much this year just because it's been a weird pandemic year, and I'm not traveling on the road quite as much. But like before games, like he he works on like corner threes, and he he makes them at a decent clip. You know, it was funny. There was a game in Memphis, I think, in like January earlier this year. He airballed a three really badly, and you know, Bleacher Report picked up on you know that's like NBA Twitter. It just everybody's picking up on it. Oh my god, look at this. This is terrible. And he stopped shooting them the you know the entire year and. I don't know. Like, I, I think like he's got a weird shooting for him. The, the idea that he's shooting with the wrong hand has been out there for a long time. And I don't know, like I'm not a, a shot doctor or an NBA coach, but it, it does kind of look like, you know, his elbow was flared out in a way that like, maybe, maybe he is shooting with the wrong hand because he shoots all his layups with his right hand. Um, but I do think some of it is just mental and just being willing to step outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, Embiid has brought that up in the past too. Like we need him to step outside of his comfort zone. He has not done that. And the Sixers kind of, they have to make do with, you know, him, you know, with a little bit of inconsistency and him kind of playing to his strengths, which is when he can get to the basket, he'll get there. And, you know, he plays great defense and he's a good passer. Why do you think that fans in Philly want to now at first? I don't think that they did this, but now it feels like they want to overlook that component or make excuses for the fact that he he consistently hasn't gotten better on that on that way. And also, like I said, the his over time, he's gotten more and more close to the basket in terms of the high percentage of of the shots that he does take offensively. What's what's going on there, in your opinion? Well, I mean, Philadelphia is like, it's a very protective. Yes. Yeah. That is a good word. Uh, and it's funny. It's, it's either they have, they have two versions of themselves. They're either protective or, or they like hate you. you like Danny or if Green. he leaves. Yep. They, they hate you. And that that is exactly right. Like, you know, they, they could boo Ben Simmons during game. And by the way, like they, they boo, like they booed the Sixers twice, like already during the second round. Playoff I think that series. they've already booed Danny Green. Right. I think that was on Twitter the other night. Yeah. Last night he is, he's not had, and Danny Green has been there. I think probably like their fourth best player this year, but he's, you know, he's, they used to boo Robert Covington. It's the same way. Like he jacks these long threes and if they're not going in, you know, he's going to get booed, but there are elements of the Philadelphia fan base. I would say that have been like part on Ben, you know, like it's, it's not, it's a tricky thing. Like the fan base is very protective of him, but I would say there is also like a decent amount of polarization. Like there are people that are, that are maybe even a little too hard on him. I don't know, but uh, yeah, they, they're definitely like, it's one of those things where I think it's like a very hyper local fan base too. So if it's like a national reporter trashing Ben Simmons, it's like, we hate this guy. Like we're, I feel that we're going to dunk. Okay. Yeah, well, no, I feel that. Yeah. They are now deep into my mentions. Um, yeah, and his sister came after me at one point on Twitter as well. And I don't even think I mentioned him by name. So obviously there was some sharing of that and she's, you know, she's deleted her Twitter since. So I don't, I don't know. It's a very interesting thing. I'm curious though, about your conversations, if at all with this pandemic year, whether you've had the chance to talk to Daryl 
in re- relation to Ben and how he feels about that element of um, him not adding to that offensive game and especially given who Daryl is in terms of how he feels about offense, especially guards. Yeah, he. I mean, he, he doesn't strike you as the the perfect Daryl Morey offensive player, right? You know, Daryl Morey basically helped create James Harden with right. the step back jumper, all the threes and the layups. And, you know, Ben has the layups part, but it certainly isn't as consistent of an offensive game as as James Harden. Uh, <laughs> That's I an think, understatement, I think, I'd say. <laughs> I think, yeah, for sure. The, uh, I think, uh, I think he's been more, he's been, he's told me that he's probably been more impressed with his defense than he thought. Um, like he just didn't quite know how good the defense is. How he feels about the offense, maybe I haven't heard quite as much about that just because, you know, if you gave him true serum, it would be, it would be interesting. I mean, they did try to trade him for James Harden earlier this year. Like that is a hundred percent out there. Yeah. yeah. Ben knew it. A bunch of people knew it. Um, he started actually playing better once Harden got traded to the Nets. Cause I think he knew, all right, I'm, I'm staying Safe. in Philadelphia for a little bit here. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny, like Doc Rivers. And again, like I'm just talking to him via Zoom. So like, I, I don't have as many, like, I don't really, I've never actually met him in person yet. It's been like a weird year in that regard. Uh, if you say one bad word about him, it's like over the top theatrics of like, why don't you appreciate Ben more? Or like, and I'm just, you know, you, you're just bringing up like, Hey, like maybe like he could get to the basket a little bit more or, you know, all, all this different thing. Um, I do wonder like if Ben struggles in these playoffs, like I think you're going to get your answer on what Daryl Morey thinks about him. Maybe not via, you know, Twitter, like he likes to to use, but just via like what moves he makes in the offseason. Do you think there's a possibility that if Ben doesn't perform well, that he's gone in the offseason via trade? Yeah, I think it's, it's possible. I mean, it, it depends on, you know, he's not going to trade him just to trade him, but you know, if there is another kind of more offensively, base player who you know he thinks might fit a little bit better with Joel in the playoffs like because Ben does fit well with Joe in the regular season like they murder teams when they play together but yeah if if he has another series like you know like the Toronto series a couple years ago where he's just standing on the baseline the whole time and not really involved I, I would be surprised if there aren't some conversations about like do we do we have to pull the plug on this do you think it has anything to do with his contract getting extended so early on in his career that some of the things didn't get added or that we haven't seen such um, improvements that you've seen from guys like Dame or Tatum or whoever. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's so weird. I mean, he, he just, for whatever reason, I, again, and I would just point to like there, there, I think there's just some sort of mental block there where he, he doesn't want to like leave his comfort zone. And I, I think at times, like, he thinks like, if I'm like floating off the ball, nobody will like notice and I'm not harming my team. And it's like, well, the the other problem with like him not shooting is like, if he's standing off the ball, like their spacing is completely screwed up. Like, you know, you have the best post up center in the world who is just mauling people on the block. You know, it'd be nice if you had another shooter out there. Right. It's, it makes it where they could, cause they're sagging now off of him and on to Joel where the point of attack is and they're able to double team guys and because they know Ben's not a danger right yeah and I mean against some teams like Atlanta they're just not long enough they just played Washington which was like a joke series they could double with Ben's guy and Joe can find that person but I wonder like if they play these teams in the next couple rounds like you know like the Toronto Raptor style long defenders that's 
that's where it gets tougher. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. Like for Joe, like to be like a great post-up player, it's not as easy as it is for Trey Young and Dame Lillard. Like the rules are against him. Like you, you're allowed to get beat up on the block in a way that that stuff doesn't matter. And he's a great flopper slash call seller and all of those things. He really has done his best, but he needs a perfect environment, I think, to succeed at the highest levels of the playoffs. And like to say that Ben's lack of spacing and all that isn't a little bit of an impediment, I think is, you know, you're, you're overlooking pretty obvious thing there. Does Joel get frustrated by that at all? I mean, cause he has to bear the brunt of all these things while he's got a lateral tear in the meniscus, which I'm sure we'll get to as well. But he's got, there's got to be some level of frustration. And when the pandemic wasn't happening and you were traveling with the team, did you feel any of that? Any of that? Like, ugh. They, so they had a terrible season last year because they had Al Horford and they had, I mean, besides Ben, they had the no spacing, spacing issue was, was really horrible. bad. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they fixed that with the trades of Horford and Richardson. But so like last year, it was just a really frustrating year. Brett Brown gets fired at the end of it. Uh, Daryl comes in, all of those things during that year, Joe, he, he passed a couple of like passive aggressive comments. Like, you know, we're just going to need people to move out of their comfort zone and Somebody like asked to follow up, like, what do you mean by that? And he was like, I, I don't know. And it was clear. He meant like, come on, man. Like you got to start shooting. You got to, it's funny. Whenever Ben has made a three in a game, you know, and again, that's once every two months or something like that. And, you know, people go crazy. Like if you watch Joe's reaction, like it's over the top, like we need this from you. So I do think there is a, there's an appreciation of like Ben's talents from Joe. Like he, he understands like great passer like unbelievable defender and I think like at the beginning of their careers they were a little bit aloof from each other they they have very different personalities where Joe just even though he's outgoing like he just wants to play video games and hang in and Ben's a little bit different um in what way I I mean he's just like a normal person like he's he's you know he's likes to go out and hang out with his friends and all that stuff I'm not saying he's like a massive partier I'm just saying like Joe is just like he's just in his apartment at all times playing video games. And, and they're just, they're a little bit different in how they go about communicating with people. And they're, they're probably also at the beginning of their careers was like a little bit of like, which one of us is better, you know, like whose team is this? Because, you know, Ben came out of the gates. He was like rookie of the year. He was really good. Um, That relationship has gotten better. I would say as the season has gone on, but like, you know, deep down, does Joe understand like he's smart. Like he, you know, he's like, does he understand like, yeah, it would be nice if you added a little bit more to your game, you know? And this is, and I would say Joe is kind of an interesting person because like he picks up everything so quickly, you know, he's, he's the guy who, who YouTube white people shooting on YouTube and he just figured out like the shooting for him right away, you know? So, so to him, like the idea of like not being able to pick up that level of like an aspect of your game, which is just so basic sort of back to him, to him yeah, a little bit. He's, he's probably a little confused. He's a talented guy. <laughs> How worried are those inside of the organization right now about this meniscus tear from Joel? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I honestly, like they, at, when they first came out with that news, there was a little bit of question. Like they, they had to see multiple specialists and there was like an idea of like, yeah, he has pain, but we don't know exactly what it is. And they they settled on the meniscus tear after after a while, and they said it was small. And, you know, people inside the organization, like when it happened, I mean, honestly, like when I heard meniscus tear, I was like, oh, well, that's it. Like he's he's done. Um, but they, they did try to emphasize, like everybody we've talked to said, like, you don't need surgery for this. Like that's not the, the first move. Um, I would say it's cautious optimism. 
And frankly, like they, they thought that probably heading into this series where I didn't completely understand that. I was like, are you just kidding yourselves or trying to use some game and ship thinking the Hawks might prepare for him beat or whatever. I mean, like you could see that it's bothering him a little bit. He's still killing them. Like he, he looks like 90% of Joel Embiid is still like an awesome player. And, um, I don't know. They have three days of rest or they have two days of rest here, like the next couple of games, which plays right into their hands. So I would say cautious optimism, but I don't know. Like I, I've watched Joel Embiid his whole career. Like whenever he goes up for a dunk, people are holding their breath. So like there, there is certainly the idea that they're not completely out of the woods with this. And it's the, the healthy knee, right? So the other one is reconstructed. Is that, does that add to it? Do you think um, given that he's, I think never gone longer than this season than 10 games without having to be load managed. Yeah. I mean, well, it's easier in the playoffs just because of the, the days off I, I would say. And uh, yeah, it's funny though. Like the other knee is the one that he always has hurt, including this season. He had that bad bone bruise that he, it was basically why he lost the MVP award. He had to miss three weeks because he landed on that. And he said like, he thought his season was over. So, I mean, it's, it's tough with him and his injuries, man. Like it's just trying to, trying to get through those. Like if that's the one he has to overcompensate on now, like that's, that's scary, you know? And he, I will say like throughout his career, if you notice he falls a lot, 80 times a game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of that is because he doesn't want to put a lot of pressure on his, his lower body joints. Like when he goes up for a dunk, but you he's know, more I, than I, willing to just hit the deck instead of like try to absorb on both knees. Yeah. And that's, that's a big thing. And that's like, that goes back to what I was saying. Like, he's just like a really smart player, but you know, on the other hand, it's really hard to tell a basketball player don't jump and, you know, don't try to block a shot and absorb it on your knees. That's a huge part of his game. So like with the injuries in him, it's always terrifying. I don't think he's, he was healthy last year, but the team was terrible. This was the thing that sucked about this. This was the first time in his career that he was actually healthy for a playoffs. And now he's not healthy anymore, but he's still playing through it and he's playing really well. But you know, I, you just feel if he goes out for the season, you just feel bad for him because like, he's just been kind of cursed throughout his career with all these injuries. I uh, I tweeted something. I said, you know, if you're Atlanta before game one, if you're Atlanta, go at Joel Embiid. Let's test that knee out. A lot of Sixers fans thought I meant that that Atlanta should try to injure it, which I didn't. But do you feel like that's sort of what Atlanta has done is or they are trying to do is really just test how explosive he is, like how his fatigue levels will be, like how much that Embiid really can give on a in a seven game series? Yeah, well, I think this is like a a tough series to rest on defense for him because just like the nature of what Atlanta does, you know, just spread, pick and roll Trey, like could shoot from 40 feet. He could shoot floaters. He could find literally everybody. And then you have Capella. Who's like a, a great lob threat too. He can't guard Joe on the other end, but he's like, he could dunk on him if, if you let him go. And Joe kind of talked about this after the game last night, it's like a game of cat, cat and, mouse. and mouse. Yeah. Where like, you know, should I block Trey's floater or, but if I go too far, he'll lob it over. And that's, that's hard to do. He made a couple of awesome plays last night where he kind of baited Trey's floater and then he swatted the the lob attempt. It's not an easy series for him. Like his, his knee, like he's got to play both ends of the floor. He's probably got to run a little more on the defensive end than he has to do like in a lot of scenes. And a little faster. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard. Um, I, you know, I would just say like Atlanta's testing it out just by the nature of what they do. And it was funny. There was that one play last night where Trey got him. He, he threw the lob over him and Capella, he dunked on him left-handed. 
And it was probably the crowd was going insane because like the crowd goes quiet. Then on the other end, Joel just like, he gets the ball on the post and he like looks at Capello like, Oh yeah. Like you need, you need a lob to dunk on me. Like I'm just going to put my shoulder into you and just dunk right on your face. And he did. And it was awesome. Like the place went nuts, but it, it does go to show like, not only is he scoring 40 points, but a ton is required of him on the other end. He is, I mean, I think like when you compare him and Jokic and those guys, like at his best, he is a dominant defensive player as well, but he's being tested in a way that like, this is tough for him. Yeah. You mentioned that um, most likely it's going to be a tough series if they get past Atlanta for Brooklyn. Is that considering everything that's gone on and how much Daryl knows what James Harden's uh, capable of and plus Kyrie plus KD, like, are they content with Eastern Conference Finals moving forward? Is there is there a, a, the ability to maybe add another star and keep Ben and Joe? Like, where do you see the future? Yeah, probably not. Where do you see the future <laughs> really, um, given how tough Brooklyn is going to be? And they've got Blake Griffin, and Blake Griffin looks like he's been sitting in a cryogenic freezer for, you know, three years in Detroit. Yeah, some of those dunks, uh, people in Detroit probably are like where... <laughs> what were you doing for a couple of years? Like how, how bad were you dogging it? Like what is going on? Uh, I, I guess I, I would say like coming into this season, like the Sixers did not have this level of expectation coming into this year. Like their, their season last year was so bad that I think Daryl coming in is like, all right, it's my first year. Let's figure out the shooting. Let's try and evaluate everything. Let's just have like a normal competent basketball team that makes sense. And what we do in the playoffs, we'll see. Now they've had a better season than that. Like they, they clearly have, you know, Joe has gone to level up and, and the fit has been really good. So like moving forward, they're definitely not content on the, uh, on the Eastern conference part. I, I think realistically, like if, if they were pretty competitive against Brooklyn, you know, obviously that'll sting. They, you know, there's no guarantee they'll ever have quite this chance again, but I think from like, at least the outside perspective, they can look at it and say, like, we had a, we had a pretty good season. But, but to your question, though, like, can they add another player? Unfortunately, they they can't really because you know they they had to attach a first round pick to Al Horford just to get rid of him. And you know it was funny, like three or four years ago, before you know the Markel Fultz trade and the Tobias trade and all this stuff, they were sitting on all of these picks all of these young players that were the result of Sam Hankey tanking for three years and doing a really good job building up that stockpile. That stuff is pretty much gone. Now they do have like some interesting young players like Matisse is pretty interesting, but Maxie. Certainly, yeah, Maxi, Maxi is, I, I think he's going to be something, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a star, but he looks like he's going to be a, maybe a starter level player in the NBA. If you can figure out some things. So they have some exciting younger players, which is important for their team but they don't have like the blue chip level assets to bring in a third star. So that's why the Ben conversation gets brought up because he is the logical guy to go. Uh, if, if they try to shake things up and make a move to bring in an impact player, because I think like realistically, would you like to bring in Bradley Beal to pair him with Ben and Joe? Like, I think that would be perfect because you could let Ben play point guard and have him run off screens and then let Joe do his thing but I don't think you're getting him for whatever the Sixers have on their roster. If, if we're being honest. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's, it's interesting because we see how Brooklyn is running the box out of the gym. Like it's probably Crazy. in barring some unforeseen event that I don't foresee happening, given how well they're playing, even without Harden, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. And I don't know what that's going to mean with Joel Embiid and his, 
his knee and this team as well, given how good Brooklyn looks. And they may even try to, to rest James as long as they can, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't believe that game too. Like, I thought with hard, with hard now, like, I was like, all right, Milwaukee's going to at least be competitive here, and they lose by a million. It's uh, it's pretty wild. The, the one thing I will say, like in the Sixers' favor, Brooklyn's going to have to do something different than they're doing. Like, they switch everything. Like, like Joe, you know, if if you have a small player, if you put Kevin Durant on Joel Embiid, he's going to put him in the basket. And I, I do think like. Joel presents a unique sort of matchup for them. Are they, are they disciplined enough to double him and kind of rotate on the other end of the court? By the way, I would say like what we've seen from the playoffs so far, the answer to that's probably yes. I've been really impressed with how they've defended, but just judging the history of their players, Kyrie and Harden and those guys, are, are they, are they able to do that? We'll see. But I mean, like, just like looking at how they're playing offense, it, it is really nice. Ben Simmons on, on Kevin Durant, like that, that's a good person to throw on him it doesn't look like anybody in the world can guard Kevin Durant right now. So, you know, the Sixers, like in some ways, I I think that they might be a little more competitive than Milwaukee has been so far, just because of some of the matchups, but I don't know, man, Brooklyn looks, they look pretty tough. And in in a way that like, I'm not sure I'm going to get like too much. I'm going to give too much flack to the Sixers if they lose to them, because they just look like completely dominant at this point. Absolutely. Well, Rich Hoffman, thank you so much for joining us. It's going to be very, very fun to, uh, watch moving forward. Uh, you can find Rich at at Rich underscore H-O-F-M-A-N-N, two N's and one F. Uh, also check out his podcast called The Sixers Beat by The Athletic. Uh, tons of athletic articles that he's covering the Sixers. Hopefully we will see them all the way to the finals because I will have to eat a basketball smoothie if the <laughs> Nets eat it all. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Rich. We appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. That's all the time that we have for the This League podcast. Please subscribe. Please rate. Please review on Apple and on Spotify. It makes a huge difference. Um, also, unsubscribe, resubscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. We also have This League playoff merch on sale at the Barstool store. It was a joke. It was a troll. But the Fakers t-shirts are on sale at the <laughs> Barstool store. Um, they are fire. Please don't forget to follow us at This League and at Trista Crick on TikTok, IG, YouTube, Twitter, and on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Tune in on Monday afternoon for the next episode of This League. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.